Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, looking at verses 8 through 14. Uh, but before we get to that, um, I want to kind of do a little preview of kind of where we've been going these last few weeks. So um, if you haven't been with us for a while, we've been going over uh, this is our, our Advent series, and we've been talking about uh, the different offices um, of Jesus. And so a few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus uh, in the office of prophet, and Ben talked about how the office of prophet was to bring God to man and how prophets represented God to his people, and how Jesus fulfilled that by being God in the flesh and coming down to dwell with his people. Jesus was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. A couple weeks ago, uh, we looked at Jesus as priest, and Sam talked about how a priest was someone who represented God's people to God. And Sam pointed to Jesus, um, how he was anointed as a priest at his baptism, how he was uh, the once-for-all sacrifice, and how Jesus is the ultimate mediator between God and man because he is seated at the right hand of God. And last week, Chris talked about how Jesus um, is in the office of king and talked about how Jesus fulfilled the office of king uh, because he fully submitted to God and was given all authority in heaven and on earth. And so tonight we're going to talk about uh, Jesus as Savior. And so if you are willing and able, if you please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, a, or there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray real quick. God, we thank you for this time that we get to gather together as your church. We thank you that we get to hear from you through your word. God, I pray that as we look into this passage and others, I pray that you would expose our hearts. I pray that you would help us to see our need for you as our Savior. that we would glorify you 
as the one who is able to save us from our sin. We thank you for this time. We dedicate it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, have you ever been disappointed? And I don't mean like the superficial disappointment, like you maybe watched a movie for a couple hours and the ending was super lame and the characters were really bad and it was like a waste of a couple hours. Or you go out to a meal and the food is really terrible. It doesn't taste very good. It looks really yucky and the service is bad and you're disappointed because you just wasted a bunch of money. I don't mean those kind of superficial disappointments. I mean the ones that are really significant. They really impact your life. One of my biggest disappointments in my life that I went through was when I was a junior in college. I was engaged to a woman before I met Amy, and um, we had met in, in, in high school, and we started dating, and uh, we were both going to school to be teachers, and her dad was a pastor at a church, and so we were involved uh, in that as well. And so we were planning our future together uh, and had all these great plans and expectations that we were going to have together. And as our relationship was going on, there were several people in our lives that were telling uh, me specifically about some of the concerns they had about our relationship. Um, it didn't start out on the best terms, and so there was a lot of negative um, things that were kind of um, a big part of our relationship. It was a very codependent kind of relationship. Uh, but no matter how many times people came and talked to me and brought their concerns to me, uh, I wasn't really fully able to understand what they were saying and really listen to them. Um, it wasn't until God had opened my eyes and revealed really what was going on that I was able to really um, see for myself what was happening and then take the necessary steps to end that relationship. Um, and it was really devastating. You know, um, being in, in a type of relationship where uh, you find, you know, all your uh, fulfillment, you have all your hopes and dreams wrapped up in this relationship, and then to have that just taken away uh, is really devastating, or it can be. Um, and so while all these expectations that I had were in the wrong thing, they weren't bad in of, of themselves. Expectations, planning, things that we expect, those aren't the things that get in the way. It's when those expectations become the ultimate thing in our life. When our longings and our desires and our hearts could never be satisfied by those things. And we all have expectations for things in our lives, and those are good, right? And some expectations we just kind of take for granted. Right? We all expect that the sun will rise in the morning. We all expect that the earth will spin on its axis and will go around the sun. We all expect that we're going to stay connected to the floor. We won't just float away up into the sky. We take all those things for granted, but they are in line with God's design and God's will for his creation. We don't really have to worry about those things because God has ordered them and determined them. 
And it's when our expectations are in line with God's is when we're able to flourish. But when our will, our desires start to move away from what God's will is, that's when problems can arise. And we see this very clearly in the first few chapters of the Bible. Adam and Eve are in perfect relationship with God in the garden, they're in perfect relationship with each other. And God gave them one command, do not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was even a reason behind it. It wasn't just some arbitrary rule that God had instilled. That would have been good enough. But God, in his mercy, even gave them a reason. If you eat of it, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And then we see in the next chapter that the serpent comes and uh, starts to question God's intentions for Adam and Eve. Here's where the two wills start to come into conflict. God's will for his people, for Adam and Eve, is that they would live under his rule and reign. But man's will is to become like God and determine for themselves what is right and wrong. And so, of course, we know the result of that. Eve takes the fruit and gives to Adam, and they both eat. And then the curse of sin is spread throughout all humanity. But with that curse came a promise. A promise that one day the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. And as we go through the Bible and as we look at our culture, our world, our society, we see this constant battle between God's will and man's will. And this is one way that Jesus is able to fulfill the office of prophet. Because this problem that we have, we need to know what God's will is. That's why God sent prophets to his people, to reveal God's will for them. And we see Jesus is given much more than just a word, but he is the embodiment of the word itself. He is the very essence of God in the flesh, and he came down in human form to dwell among his people and to proclaim God's truth to us. Unfortunately, sin has so thoroughly blinded us from this conflict that sometimes we don't even recognize it. There are some people who completely reject even the idea of sin. Even though they know deep down that there are things that, that things are not the way they should be. And when this subject is brought up to them, when they are confronted with their sin, they say things like, who are you to judge me? You're not perfect. I'm a good person, right? But deep down, whether they admit it or not, they know that things are not as they should be. They know that there is this problem with the world and they expect things to be a certain way. And when they're not, they don't really have a basis or a real foundation of why. The depravity of our sinful minds can get so misaligned 
with reality, that we start to even deny certain basic fundamental truths. As we drift farther and farther away from God, our own desires, our own wills become ultimate. They become God's and of themselves. And we end up with a world of chaos and confusion, of destruction and depravity. And we're seeing this play out right before our eyes. In God's created order, he created two genders, male and female. Man has determined now that there's around 70 genders. God's desire is to preserve life. Man has decided that comfort and money and success are more, are more important than life. And so they willingly kill innocent humans for their own desires to be met. God says that marriage is between a man and a woman. Man has created laws so that they can marry whomever they want. A man with a man, a woman with a woman. And the list goes on. This is not ex exhaustive. There's lots of things that man has corrupted that God has, has made. But even through all this disorder and chaos and depravity, all the way back at the fall, we're given a promise of a savior. And if you look back at our, at our passage this evening in verse eight, it says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Why are they terrified? Well, anytime the glory of God is brought into the proximity of sinful man, sin is exposed. Just like Adam and Eve, when they, were, uh, when they found themselves naked in the garden, they hid because they were ashamed. Just like Isaiah, when he's in the temple and he comes to the presence of God, he falls on his face and says, woe is me. And we can somewhat understand this on a much smaller scale. If you've ever been to the ocean or to the beach during a huge storm and you see these giant waves crashing down and you can hear and feel the power in them. Or if you ever lived in a part of the country where there's hurricanes or tornadoes, and you can see the power of the wind. It causes you to be afraid, to hide. It's a natural response of fear and awe. But right away, what does the angel say? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. First, the angel calms their fears. He assures them that they will not need to, that they do not need to be afraid. And the reason is because he brings them good news of great joy for all people. What is this good news that he brings? He brings the promise of a savior. A savior is born. He says in verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And this is what God's people have been waiting for ever since the fall. This is the one who had been prophesied throughout the entire Old Testament. This is the one that they are expecting. So how can we know that Jesus is the one Savior? Well, there are many prophecies about Jesus. I'm just going to go through a few of them. It was prophesied by Micah that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. I mean, that's where Jesus' family had to travel to when the census was enacted. And Isaiah says that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. You know, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. It said the Messiah would be an heir to David's throne. And we know that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, was of the line of David. That's why they had to go to Bethlehem, the city of David. It was prophesied by Jeremiah that there would be a great massacre of children when this birth took place. And we know that Herod had his soldiers go and kill every child to and under once the Magi didn't come back to him and tell him where the king was born. And Hosea prophesied that the Messiah would spend a season in Egypt and we know that Jesus fled to Egypt when this massacre of children was happening to escape. And then he returned several years later. And like I said, there are many more throughout the Old Testament that we could go through. It's just a very cursory look at them. And one of the most amazing things is not only the amount of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, but even the time between when the prophecy was made and when it was fulfilled. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years when these prophecies were given and when they were fulfilled. And this is how we can have confidence that this is the one true Messiah, the Savior. And it should cause us great joy because those of us who have believed in him, we now have the truth. We know how to align our wills with the will of God, who is the creator of the universe and the author of life. We don't have to fabricate our own realities to fit whatever narrative we want to create. It's not our truth. It's God's truth. It's not our reality. It's God's reality. It's not our standard of what is right and wrong. It's God's standard. The hope is not in ourselves. The hope is in God. And because we can have this foundation and this assurance of this truth, we can withstand any difficulty and trial that would come our way. Now, I want to take a few moments to talk with, to specifically the young people in the gathering. I don't want the older people to check out, so you can still be engaged. Right? But I want to specifically address the young people here tonight. You have been given a great gift. You have been blessed beyond measure because you have been born into a family that loves Jesus and is discipling you and training you to also love Jesus. And if you're not careful, there's a couple lies that you might fall into. 
The first is that you might start to think that your testimony is kind of boring because you don't have this crazy story of conversion where you're in some kind of life-threatening accident or whether you were in this pit of despair, deep in sinfulness, and God pulled you out of it. But I want to encourage you that you have been given a great gift. God has spared you so much heartache. Don't take that lightly. Secondly is the belief that, um, that you've been Christians your whole life. I've heard that from a few people. Um, and I want you to know that it's amazing that some people can say that they don't know a time when they didn't love Jesus. That's an amazing statement to be able to make. Um, but there's a tendency to never really own your relationship with Jesus. To never really have that moment when you come to realize that you've been forcing your will on God instead of allowing God's will to, instead of surrendering your will to God's. And so my prayer is that that would not be you. We're all going to give an account of our lives. And you cannot live out your walk as a Christian through your parents. You need to be able to own it and claim it as your own. I teach at a classical Christian school in Hoquiam, and there are many benefits to working at this school. And one of the main benefits is that I get paid to read really good books. And I get paid to read them to my students, I get to engage in conversation. And one of the books that we're reading right now is called The Hiding Place by Corey Tenboom. And if you haven't read it or you don't know anything about it, I would highly recommend that you read it. It is a really good book, and it's really encouraging, and I know it will, it will bless you. And one of the amazing things about this, one of the many amazing things about this book is the very humble living, the very humble life that Corey leads. She's a, a young daughter of, of a family in, uh, in Holland, and it's right during the... Uh, World War I and World War II. And she's a very, you know, lower middle class family. Her dad uh, owns a watch repair shop. And, um, <clears throat> and it's a very solid Christian family. Every morning, the dad reads a chapter out of the Bible before they do anything else. Every evening, he reads another chapter and they all pray together. She talks about the various conversations that she has with her dad about things that are happening in her life and how her dad's able to speak truth into those situations. And Corey even comments in the book herself about how mundane and how kind of boring and how predictable her life is. But when World War II starts and Germany invades Holland, she finds herself in the middle of this underground way of hiding Jews from the Nazis who are coming around and taking them. 
And you see this conflict inside her try to start to kind of come up as she's finding herself lying to people intentionally. And she's shocked at how easy that is for her. And she sees these Nazi soldiers being so brutal to these Jews that have done nothing wrong. And she comments on how she had been prepared. This foundation has been laid for her to be able to endure some of the things, some of the atrocities, some of the terrible things that she has to go through in her, in the rest of the book. I'm not going to give any more away. So I encourage you to read it. But that's, that's part of the good news of great joy that this angel is telling the shepherds about. It's only through this power of good news that we can have hope in the midst of unthinkable tragedy. And we all have to deal with tragedy on some level throughout our lives. There's no avoiding it. The only thing that we can do is go to the one who is the source of joy, the one who is the source of hope, the one who is the source of comfort, and rest on his promises. Looking back at our passage in verse 12, it says, The angel said to the shepherds, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The Savior who was born in the city of David was to be found wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And I was really intrigued by what Chris said last week, that these swaddling cloths are symbolic of burial cloths. I'd never heard that before. And it really pointed to the reality that Jesus didn't just come as a baby to live as a man in full obedience to God, but he also came to die. And this is how Jesus can also fulfills the office of priest. He was the final sacrifice that satisfied the debts that we could never pay. It wasn't just a partial sacrifice or sacrifice that needed to be repeated over and over again. It was a once-for-all sacrifice. He suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. Jesus didn't just come to this earth to be a good teacher, to show us how to live a morally upright life. He didn't just come to overthrow the government. He didn't come to do his own will. He came to do the will of his Father who sent him. Jesus came to this earth knowing full well that he was going to suffer and die on a cross. He mentions this several times in the Gospels. And the significance of that, the importance of that, is that that is the only way that he can be our Savior. He was not born into sin like we are because he had no earthly father. He lived a sinless life completely submitted to God's will, even though he was tempted in every way, something that you and I could never do. His will was so aligned to God's that he willingly went to the cross to suffer and die, not for his own sin, but for ours. It says in Hebrews 12 that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. 
And it was through the will of God and for the joy of Jesus that he endured the cross for all of us, for all people. But he didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead, and he's now seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's how he can become, that's how he, can, that's how he is our king. He perfectly submitted to God and was raised from the dead, conquering sin and Satan, and is now seated at the right hand of God. So what should our response be? Looking back at our passage in Luke, how did the shepherds respond? Starting in verse 13, I'm going to go a little bit farther than what I had originally uh, said, so just bear with me. Uh, Starting in verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord made known to us. And they made haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. So the shepherds, upon hearing this, hearing what the angel had said, they went to investigate. They went to verify that what he had said was really true. And if you're here tonight, and this is the first time that you're hearing the gospel, the good news, or maybe it's the 101st time, have you really investigated what God has revealed to you? It's by the providence of God that you were brought here tonight, so that your eyes may be opened, that your heart may be softened to this good news. And for those of us who have believed on this good news, what are we doing? In verse 17 of our passage, it says, And when they saw it, when they saw the manger and Jesus laying in there, just as the angels had told them, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. As believers, we have been given, we have been told what, who Jesus is. We have been given this, this knowledge. And not only that, we have felt his love in our times of need. We have experienced his peace in times of grief. Our hearts have been turned from stone to flesh. Our minds have been renewed. Are we making known these sayings? that have been revealed to us concerning Jesus? Are we training our children? Are we reminding our spouses? Are we encouraging one another in the gospel? Are we proclaiming the excellencies of the gospel to those who don't know it, who haven't heard it? I was able to help out last night at the uh, Christmas dinner that Simon and Sandra put on for the homeless. And it was really encouraging to see not only how much help that we had from our church that was truly amazing, but it was great that it, was, that it freed up Simon and Sandra to really be able to spend time with the people that came 
and be able to minister to them and to pray with them and to preach the gospel to them. And that's what we need to be doing. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these offices. He's the, he fulfills the office of prophet because he is the word of God made flesh. He fulfills the office of priest because he was anointed by God. And he gave himself as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He fulfills the office of king because, he, because of his submission to God in his life and in his death. And he is seated on his throne in heaven with all authority. And he fulfills the office of Savior because he is the chosen one of God to accomplish all his will on earth, which was to rescue his people and bring them back to himself. 